everybody, I'm Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's see, we picked uh, Jesus of Nazareth, The Infancy <laughs> Narratives by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh-huh. Uh, this is episode 196. Um. Yeah, I felt like uh, I felt like um, reading this book. <laughs> you know, for obvious reasons, we're headed into the Christmas season, the Advent. Uh, perfect season. timing. Yeah, perfect timing. And I hadn't read this one yet. Oh, and, you uh, hadn't? No, I hadn't, but I wanted to. Oh my so, gosh! But uh, it's fantastic, of course. Yeah. yeah that's that's why I picked it. I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect for right now. Oh yeah, I can't um, believe you hadn't read it. No, no, I hadn't. I we read together. I think the. Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the big one, right? The first one. The first one, yeah. Yeah, well, the other big one is the second one. (laughs) The passion. (laughs) The passion, right. Yeah. There's two big ones and then this little tiny one. And this is Mm -hmm. my third time of reading it, I think. Oh, that's cool. That's great. Yeah. And my book club is going to talk about it in January. So this was, I was like, oh, this is a twofer. And then. Oh, good. I was so grateful that you chose it because I think of it as being, oh, this is his simple little book. Mm. And I'm just cracking up as I'm reading it going, there is nothing simple about this because I don't think he knows how to do that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's beautifully complex. Wow. I love this guy. If that's a way to say it. Yeah. 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 And I I felt the same way. It's like, you should see how many markers I have in it. It's, It's like 140 pages long. And uh, it is just full. I don't know how many more post-its I could get in it. <laughs> Me too. It's, it's my just like, just... yeah, let's just highlight the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Dip yeah. it in yellow and That's move on. Right. That's right. Yeah, and if somebody hasn't read it, I don't want to discourage them by saying it's complex and deep because there are plenty of simple points that are being made. And I, I was reading through this going, oh, right. This is where I learned the thing about um, the women that are listed in Jesus's mm. genealogy yeah. being Gentiles. And so that's the point of sh- one of the ways they show that he came for the whole world. Oh, this is the point. And so there are a lot of really simple things that are brought up that I just hadn't really glommed onto until I read this book the first time. Cool. Yeah, so, I, I just, you know, every, every few pages I had some of that. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, this is all, oh, this is the first time I heard that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, so we'll definitely talk about some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the way to proceed talking about this book is rather than try to go through it cover to cover or some kind of synopsis, um, I'll just say that it's um, it's a book about the infancy narratives, um, which, you know, of course, is in the title, but the mm-hmm. infancy narratives in Matthew and Luke. Yeah. Uh, which are the only two Gospels that have an infancy narrative in it. And um, he just goes through it in detail and um, discusses it. Yeah, and I think um, I mentioned this at the end of the last show, but for people who weren't listening to that or it's been a while for them, um, what I, I had been looking forward to this book for a really long time. His first Jesus of Nazareth book came out, which is really about ordinary times, so to speak, you know, Jesus's main ministry. And 
in that, he said, I hope to do something on the infancy narratives, but I feel time pressing on me. I want to get this book out first. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is great. But the infancy stuff. (laughs) And then the next one is about, you know, the passion and the resurrection or death and resurrection, all this stuff. And he's like, and I I promise I'm getting to this. And (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, this is great, too. And he finally came out with this and said, I can't give it the full treatment I should, but I did promise to do it, and I'm going to keep that promise. And I'm thinking, I don't know how you could have given it a more thorough treatment, Mm. but this is a little gem, and it made me so happy when he finally did that. Yeah, yeah. These are, we're talking about, you know, a couple of chapters of Matthew and a couple of chapters of Luke, Uh you know, and 144 pages of talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. So... Just yeah. to hit the main points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what else could he have said? I don't know. He must have more. He said, oh, well, I think we got more yeah. coming. I don't know. And I would say also for anybody who's listening to this who's not a believer, maybe, and is interested in looking at some of the arguments that people will bring up against this part of scripture, he talks about that stuff. He's not just saying, here's how the Jews would have seen it, or here's how Christians looked at it later, which he does. He's also saying, okay, this question has been raised. What about the star? Was Mm. it a real star? This, you know, what about the Magi? Who were they? What about this or that? And so he's not ducking those issues. Mm. He, and sometimes he'll say, you know, there's a validity to this, but here's the other way to look at it, you know? Right. So he's not ducking things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that the the best way to talk about it is just to uh, you know pick a highlight and and let's talk about it. All and right. And when our hour's up, our hour will be up. So, <laughs> would, <gasps> would you like to start? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I was really struck. Let's start with page four. Okay. How much time do we have? Page just four. An hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. But on page four, Ratzinger points out. Who is Jesus? Where is he from? This is the point of what the infancy narratives are trying to ground us in. Because this is the whole question we ask about Jesus all the way through all the Gospels, and now here in our lives today. Mm-hmm. Who is he? Where is he from? And of course, what does that mean to me? And he does ask that question in his other two books that preceded it, because that's what made him start writing those books. He said, I wanted to see the face of Jesus. And this, he's doing the same thing. And I thought, you know, it never occurred to me to look at the infancy narratives that way. Mm. And to see that, as he points out, Jesus is grounded in history. He's not some myth. People, especially Luke, are pointing out timelines and rulers and all this stuff to make sure that we understand he was real. Mm-hmm. And just to take it back to that big question, you know, I don't think of when Jesus was born, all those stories as, as even relating to that, but as this book shows, they clearly do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he makes that point several times in the book, you know, uh, where he, he, he asserts over and over, yes, this is historical. Yes, mm-hmm. this is true, and this is why I believe it, you know. Um, right. Excellent, Yeah. 
he says, um, Matthew opens his gospel with Jesus's genealogy because he wants to put the question of Jesus's provenance in the correct light from the very beginning. The genealogy serves as a kind of heading to the entire gospel. And this reminds me of something that I heard recently on a podcast where they were saying, don't forget how any of the gospels start off is the main point they're trying to ground you in. Hmm. You know, kind of like, here's our premise, now we're going from here. And so that goes along with this. Yeah, and Luke, uh, his genealogy, I think, comes a little bit further in. Yeah. But it says, Luke, on the other hand, places Jesus' genealogy at the beginning of his public ministry as a kind of public presentation of Jesus in order to answer the same question with a different emphasis in anticipation of all that is about to unfold in the rest of the gospel. Hmm. And so that gives you a reason that when he says, now let's dig into those genealogies, and you're just going, oh, more names. But of course, he's explaining they didn't just do it to show names. They did it to show you something deeper. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Gospel of Luke opens up with um, the birth of John the Baptist um, being mm-hmm. foretold, right? After right. after that little section, that, that dedication paragraph, but... But uh, that's interesting in the light of what you just said about, you know, it sort of sets the tone for the rest of it. Um, That's interesting. Well, yeah, and that makes me think, you know, it's funny. I was saying all that, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't go back to the gospel and see how it started. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you. Well, the gospel of Matthew definitely starts with a list of names. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, which is, you know, like you said, saying, yeah, this is real. This is um, right. Yeah, and and not only that, but there's a theological interpretation to it too, which yeah. Benedict is is sort of explained. But you know, the 14 generations in between each thing, you know that that's all Matthew. Mm-hmm. And then Luke starts off with you know, in the days of Herod, there was a priest named Zechariah. You know. Yeah, and so he's starting off first thing in the days of Herod. So we know here's the time period. Yeah. yeah. And then like you say, it's this will be John the Baptist's father. Mm. And it makes me think, so John the Baptist is the last of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And then all the gospels are full of linking Jesus back to the prophets in different ways. And so that makes me think of there was this wonderful phrase that he quoted from somebody else. He says, Marius Reiser, R E I S E R. Mm-hmm. It says, The prophet's prediction is like a miraculously formed keyhole into which the key of Christ fits perfectly. Wow. Yeah. And so to read that mm-hmm. and then think about it starts with John the Baptist. Well, he's the prophet who's clearing the way for the Messiah. Yeah. Or proclaiming the way for mm-hmm. the Messiah. Yeah, and then um, slightly later, um, you know, I'll just pick this as my highlight because it ties right into what you're saying. Um, I'm on page seven at the Mm. bottom. He says, um, the genealogy is still important. Joseph is the legal father of Jesus. And it says, through him, Jesus belongs by law, legally, to the house of David. And yet he comes from elsewhere, from above, from God himself. The mystery of his provenance, his dual origin, confronts us quite concretely. His origin can be named, and yet is a mystery. I really, you know, that that's that really solidified that. You know, it's something that we talk about often, you know, in church and things. Um, but uh, 
yeah, so you know, here it's, I, I like what you said about it. It's, it's concretely putting it right in uh, history, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's somewhere else in here. He says, This is not like uh, some myth, you know, uh, foggy mythology. Everything we can verify all this stuff, right? Yes. You know, if, if it, if you want to, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, um, that's not the case with, with all religions. Um, but it, it's important to me that, um, that stuff can be, you know, pointed at, you know, it, it adds, yeah. it adds some things to me. Well, if Jesus wasn't real, I don't care. Yeah. How can you? If, right. If he's not the Messiah and if he's some myth, everybody made up, I'll mm-hmm. just go back and become a Jew yeah. at that point. Right. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know. This is the truth I believe in, and it came from Judaism. That was the run-up to Jesus. Right. So, yeah, if he's not real, there's no point. And yet, you know, he's a mystery, right? Yeah, yeah right. Only God is truly his father. It continues. You know, the human genealogy has a certain significance in terms of world history. And yet, in the end, it is Mary, the lowly virgin from Nazareth, in whom a new beginning takes place in whom human existence starts afresh. Uh, yeah, I know that's such a great phrase. Yes, I'd love that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So he, uh, I don't know whether to, to continue or to, to pass it on again, but one other thing oh, that boy. ties right into you is um, he said uh, I'm on page uh, 15, a story is told here which interprets the scriptures and the converse is also true. What the scriptures intended to say in many passages becomes visible only now through this new story. And you said that just a minute ago. Well, I have two stars by that passage. Because <laughs> yes, <That's awesome. laughs> it is amazing. It says, yeah. it goes on and says, it is a story that is completely rooted in the word, and yet only now does it supply the full meaning of that word, which hitherto could not be recognized. The story here is no mere illustration of the ancient words. It is the reality to which they were referring. Mm. In those words alone, it could not be recognized, but they now attain their full meaning through the event in which they come to pass. Yeah, amazing. And it's that, yeah, it's that realization that, Often a criticism is the old prophecies that the Gospels point back to, people will look at it and go, oh, but they were talking about something happening in their time. And it's like, well, yeah, they were, but that doesn't mean they can't have meaning later on. And now Mm -hmm. we understand it more fully. We understand the big meaning of the story. And I think about our own lives where, you know, you run into somebody here, you run into somebody there. And that happened to me with uh, my husband. We met through work, but we met initially, you know, a few years before we really truly, I would say, met as and understood each other. Mm -hmm. And it was under terrible circumstances. And I don't know if he gave me one thought later. And I certainly was like, wow. What a jerk. (laughs) Terrible circumstances, you know, Mm -hmm. like I say. And then later we met each other and it was like we'd never met before. But Mm -hmm. looking back at all these times that people would talk about him or meet him and all this stuff, it gave it a fuller context, a fuller meaning to our story. And that when we met for real and it took – or it flowered, let's say, um, that was the right time. Mm that's when everything was supposed to happen. If we'd have really gotten together earlier, it would have been bad timing on all fronts. And it's that same kind of thing, I think. 
Yeah. I don't know if that seems relates as well as I no, think it does. No, I, I think it, it does relate um, because you're talking about, um, you know, the timing of things, right? Everything has mm-hmm. its own time. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, in a couple places in the book, he, uh, Pope Benedict, he um, mentions something that, well, one thing that comes to mind, I, I'm, I'm not going to flip to it, but there's a thing from Virgil where I guess 40 or 50 yes. years before Christ was born, there was a story floating around um, that had some line in it that said something about um, a virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when, when some people see that, it's, it's not unlike when uh, the, the Gilgamesh thing, you know, with Gilgamesh has a flood story in it, mm-hmm. you know, and people see that and they say, aha, you know, this was copied, you know, from blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, that's one way to look at it. And I guess, you know, you could say that that's possible. But the other way to look at it is that there is this one reality, you know, that you and I talk about that's in, you know, that simmers up in various places. And um, if we are honestly all created by God, then the fact that we would have these similarities in the stories that we tell, the things that are meaningful to us is an amazing truth. You know, so so to have that, you know, Virgil say something like that doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't make me think that, oh, well, that was stolen. Somebody who wrote the Gospels must have thought, read this and, you know, because that that in itself is amazing for you to, <laughs> yeah. for you yeah. to have that and for all these people, you know, to uh, take that and, and make this real and, and write it down as Gospels. I think that that's incredible, you know. It's that thing that Tolkien and Lewis and, oh, the other person. um, Williams? I don't think it was. I think it was Hugo Dysart. Was that his name? Anyway, Mm -hmm. whoever it was, they were all talking about it that one night is where Lewis was saying that very stuff of, well, these are just myths. And Mm -hmm. Tolkien goes, but this is the true myth. Right. This is the one. When myth means story, this is the true story that all of those stories come from. And that's what we're talking about, essentially. Yeah, and the, and the fact that those other myths contain some of the glimmers of truth, right, is an amazing testament. <laughs> you know, uh, or you can say, yeah, see, they stole it. You know, um, but yeah, but the thing to me that's amazing when you talked about Gilgamesh, and I'm thinking, right. Because what was Gilgamesh looking for? He was looking for immortality. Hmm, Isn't that what all of us want, right? We don't want to think we're going to die and just disappear and go away. So that's a basic truth of man's inner heart. Hmm. And the flood, there's all these stories of the flood and all these cultures, but what did the Jewish people do with it? They took took it and looked at it through the filter of their faith and what God was to them. Yeah. And told the story... And that happens from Genesis and the creation stories on. Those stories that they tell are completely different in the points that they're making. Hmm. And when people don't understand that and they just look at the big picture, they're missing a lot of the nuances. And that's what, I guess, Pope Benedict is doing here with things like the genealogy and the who is Jesus, where is he from idea. Hmm. You know, that's why it matters to these people. They're like, we know myths. We're not dumb. We've heard Hmm. all this stuff. Yeah. We, We get it. Virgin birth, uh-huh. And you wonder if they're going, you know, we have to nail this thing down. Not only for the Jewish people who are never going to buy into some myth, but mm. just for everyone. Everybody's, this is a, a culture that's full of a thousand religions, 
thousand gods and goddesses and how many of these ideas of virgin birth or unexplained things like this happen, they have to be sure it's rooted in fact. Right, right. Yeah, amazing. Um, what, what you're saying brings up my next one. <laughs> Should oh, I go on to that? <laughs> go, do okay. it. Okay, this is something that was a major aha moment for me. Um, so I'm on page 16. Yeah, I, know, I know people <laughs> you hear this we're not going to go through it bit by bit so when we get to page 20 it'll be an hour <laughs> oh man so this was an aha moment um, so uh, he was making some points earlier he says if that is so the question arises how did Matthew and Luke come to know the story they recount what are their sources as Joachim uh, Ginilka rightly says it is evidently a matter of family traditions. Luke indicates from time to time that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is herself one of his sources, especially when he says in two, uh, chapter 2, verse 51, that his mother kept all these things in her heart. Only she could report the event of the Annunciation, for which there were no human witnesses. And I had never thought of that before. I don't know Is why. But when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> I know. You know? It That's was amazing. the same for me. The first mm-hmm. time I read this, I went, oh, yeah. She had to finally <laughs> tell somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know. In fact, I was trying to find that out. We don't know for certain how long she lived after, do we? I got the impression she lived a fair amount of time, but yeah. that might just be from art where it shows an aged Mary who's mm-hmm. fallen asleep Yeah, with the disciples around her, the apostles around her. Right. Yeah. So I, I have not been able to find any kind of a date well, you know, or anything like that, she but was, she definitely lived for a while. So yeah, she was given into John's care mm-hmm. and I know that there is, I know I've heard stories and talk about not grounding it and looking it up, but that later she was in Luke's care. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine um, how many people would want to talk to her? You know, Mm -hmm. these are the thoughts that I was having after that, that, you know, they're like, hey, let's go talk to his mom (laughs) and see if this is really so. And, you know, it, it makes me think that there would have been just people all the time coming to the door and saying, is this true? You know, and oh, yeah, and her uh, answering those questions. Well, and this revelation, and maybe it's made in the other books, but I just don't remember it. This one, I remember this moment also when I first read this book and went, I never thought of that. And it made me look at some of the other biblical or gospel stories differently in terms of so Jesus and the temptations in the wilderness. Mm. Well, where did that, those stories come from? Guess what? He had to tell his disciples that. Yeah. They don't record him telling them that because they just put it in the story where it belonged. But there must have been nights where they were sitting around or he was doing teachings and said, look, here's the way it was. Because he wanted people to remember that or know about it. Right. That's so true. Yeah. And that, so yeah, so when you look at it and then you just go, oh, these things happened to Jesus by himself. Like, what was he praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? What were all these things? Well, the disciples were the only ones there. They were asleep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they somebody got told. Yes, yeah, somebody got told. That's yeah. right. That's right. 
Anyway. Mm-hmm. And then um, I like this next paragraph, too, because um, it, it, again, feeds into some of the stuff we were talking about initially. So he says, naturally, modern critical exegesis will tend to dismiss such connections as naive. <laughs> but why should there not have been a tradition of this kind, preserved in the most intimate circle and theologically elaborated at the same time? Why should Luke have invented the statement about Mary keeping the words and events in her heart if there were no concrete grounds for saying so? Why should he have spoken of her pondering over the words if nothing was known of this? You know, that that's really makes sense to me. Yeah, because enough people were around who would have known. I mean, if Mary lived for a while, and there's no reason why she shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. These people all had seen this stuff and were talking to each other. It's yeah. always sometimes people think about this backwards as if everyone was just in a vacuum and nobody was yeah. mentioning it. Yeah, in a dark room with a with a fountain pen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you could make yeah. up things you things and everybody just eat it. Mm. Unquestioning. Yeah. Well, because then he says, I would add that the late emergence, particularly of the Marian traditions, can be similarly explained by the discretion of the Lord's mother and of those around her. The sacred events of her early life could not be made public while she was still alive. Mm. You know, these are things that she would share with the disciples because they knew Jesus too. This is part of the further teaching. That's that's fascinating, you know. So he he's not only so yeah. I would add that the late emergence, particularly of Marian traditions, that mm-hmm. you know, so those are stemming from you know things that she was told. You know, that's the tradition of the church. Right. Um, I love that. You know that that really opens that up a lot for me. Right, and I yeah. can easily see why you wouldn't talk about that while she's alive. She's not the point. She was never the point. The point to her was always to show people her son. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you run into the risk of her being venerated as a goddess, all these sorts of things, and they're keeping the focus strictly on Jesus. And that makes it, to me, more authentic. Right, right. And especially how her life was lived. She had so many things that she had to keep hidden, Hmm. just from the Annunciation on. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and when we think about this modern critical exegesis, you know, that's... um, you know, one of the things that kind of feeds into something I said earlier was, you know, the, the, reading the Gospels, um, I, I read something about, you know, they're, they're talking about source material, mm-hmm. right? You know, what's the source for these Gospels? Well, these guys seem to share the same source and all that. That's another thing that to me is, um, it's, it's not remarkable to me that they kind of have the same source, <laughs> you know, yeah. the source being God or the 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 uh, um, influence of, of the Holy Spirit, right? Why and isn't that the source? Why are, why are we looking for a document? Right. <laughs> I well, wonder, yeah, exactly. I wonder if they'll actually ever find it, you know, find something like that. But it, it's, you know, you know, we're, we're never going to prove that such a document never existed. But the fact that they all seem to be coming from the same origin is amazing and awesome. You well, know? Yeah, but to pr- try to prove a negative that, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, because that so what we're talking about for anybody who doesn't know, there's this idea that the three synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which have so many similar stories, um, and and sh- just share all these events in them that the Gospel of John doesn't necessarily share. They say, oh, they probably had a single source, which was Q. 
Yeah. I think it's Q, right? Yeah, I think you're right. And um, Or they'll say, everybody took everything from Mark and just elaborated on it because mm-hmm. his was the first written. And I'm just like, well, I couldn't even understand that just going, oh, here's a template. But I'm going to tell my own version, you know, because I'm talking to the Jews or I'm talking to the Gentiles or I have to tell things in this way. And these things were important to me and they weren't included. But that doesn't mean it also doesn't spring from their own common experience. Because, again, it's not that these guys would never talk to each other or see each other again. Mm. They did. They got together regularly. It's recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. Right. You know? Right. And so, that's where you see Mark talking about it this way and somebody going, oh, yeah, but what you're not talking about is this. Hmm. All this stuff about, you know, that the Jewish people would really appreciate. So, Matthew does his version. Right, right. You know, that's just a natural thing. How many books do we have about World War II? <laughs> yeah, you're so right. You're so you know? right. Yep. And World War I now. And all these things where it's recent enough to be in modern memory, mm-hmm. or has been, while a lot of them were being written in all the base materials. It's just we write things down a lot more. Yeah, they and, and why, why would someone write another World War II book? Because they felt that they had something else to add. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That would be the only reason. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And some of them will include this series of battles, and some of them will include a different series of battles because they're writing about Africa versus Italy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So amazing. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. So, did, what do you have? What's your well, What's your next highlight or okay. or a highlight anywhere in the book? This it doesn't have a- to be on page oh, sixteen. Right. Page thirty-seven. <laughs> I don't want to skip ahead. Too oh my far. gosh. Let me find it. All right. But to me, this was another one of those aha moments that I surely must have read the other two times, but it really hit me now. And the thing that Pope Benedict is pointing out is Mary's experience, where he says, um, the final sentence of Luke's Annunciation narrative says, and the angel departed from her. And so he says, okay, her whole life has been changed. This Mm -hmm. great hour of encounter. He goes, Now, she's got to go on her own. Nobody's going with her. He says, there are no angels standing around her. She must continue along the path that leads through many dark moments. Wow. From Joseph's dismay at her pregnancy to the moment when Jesus is said to be out of his mind, right up to the night of the cross. How often in these situations must Mary have returned inwardly to the hour when God's angel had spoken to her, pondering afresh the greeting, rejoice, full of grace, and the consoling words, do not be afraid. The angel departs, her mission remains, and with it matures her inner closeness to God, a closeness that in her heart she is able to see and touch. And I thought, it never occurred to me. Mm. She's back on her own, just like all of us are. We may have that moment of inspiration, and then I don't know what to do, but I'm going forward. Yeah. Yeah, despite despite what's you're worried about right yeah (laughs) yeah it's hard it's hard and gosh for her it must have been just brutal oh well yeah Yeah. because did she fully understand what was even being said to her no but she was willing to be obedient yeah and And she says yes right yeah that's just amazing but she's got to go forward yeah through all this stuff and then also when he says with it matures her inner closeness to god and i thought Yes, because, you know, we think of Mary, the Immaculate Conception, so she's conceived without sin, but it doesn't mean she didn't have all the other temptations and trials that human beings all have. Mm -hmm. And so, 
what brings us closer to God so much of the time? It's our trials. It's when we see what we've got within us that we didn't know about, how God helps us, how he's there when things don't go right. You know, and so she also is continuing to grow in closeness with God. She's not in this finite bubble that this is just how she is. Right. And yeah, and it's the, it's so easy to think about her that way, right? She's, you know. Right. It, it's, it's not unlike, you know, you remember the Jesus book that we read that uh, Father Martin wrote. Yeah. Some of the value of that book is seeing Jesus as a human being. Yes, the um, Jesus of Nazareth. Right. I mean, that when he goes to the... A pilgrimage, the that's what it was yeah. called. Jesus, a pilgrimage. That's it. Um, but yeah, but here, you know, just in this one one line, um, and, and the previous one about Mary, too, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, Mary was talking to everybody, <laughs> you know? And yeah, oh my gosh, how, how hard would this be? And the angel departed her. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, wow. I mean, how hard is it to go back to life? And then... Um, you know, not only that, you know, to, to go back to the, to the, to the hard life after seeing, I mean, yeah, brutal. And then um, knowing what you need to do and knowing that how much you don't want to, but how much you know that you should, you know, oh, yes. it's just, you know, there's so many things. Yeah. Uh, and, amazing. And I'm trying to think because he doesn't really, yeah, he doesn't dwell on the fact that right after that, Mary because the angel had also said, and as a further proof, your cousin Elizabeth, who's much older, yeah. is pregnant and going to have a baby. And so, and she immediately goes to be with Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And I can easily see that as, oh my gosh, you too, isn't this amazing? And that's also a time of nurturing, of strength and support that she's yes. going to cast her mind back to time after time. Right. When everything's hard. Yeah, this is right. This is. I know this is true, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I remember this is right. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Mm. Yes, I've had this moment. And we all do this too. We get those moments of inspiration. And we're like, okay, I I will do this. And then you're unsure. Then you hit the hard times. And you have to kind of reach back and remember, this is why I'm doing it. It's okay. I'm doing my best. And then, you know, if people around you are not in support, you know, you're like, (laughs) hmm. Yeah. Is am I, am I really? Yeah, really. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, trying yeah. to to recharge your batteries and trying to make sure you know. Gosh, could that have been not as important as I remember it? Yeah. Yeah, these are things I imagine that she. Could and then be sometimes you get a little nudge where you mm. go, "Oh, okay, that was a for real thing," which yeah. I imagine happened to Mary. That's the Holy Spirit. But also, then sometimes you're just casting your mind back yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I did, I loved that, the idea that Mary's alone on the path. Wow. Eventually she has Joseph, but think of what she has. I mean, when she comes back from visiting Elizabeth, she's been there for three months. I think it's three months, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she's starting to show a little. Yeah, wow. And you're saying that's at the point that she was telling Joseph what happened? Well, I don't know if she told him anything. The way the Gospels read is oh, yeah, he Joseph, had a dream. Right. That's right. I mean, he knew about it, mm-hmm. but I don't think she told him anything because he's wondering if he should divorce her. And he finally, it's because he has a whole section, um, which I loved also, about Joseph being a just man. And what does that really mean? Mm. It's like he is living the gospel. Look at how he is. You know, he loves Mary. He doesn't want to hurt her. And you can imagine how hurt he would have been by the fact that she's pregnant. Yeah, yeah. 
but he's going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then he has his dream where God says, here's the deal. So that's, I wonder if from that, then Mary didn't tell him. Right. But we don't know. Tough conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Mary. Uh-huh, that's sure. <laughs> and the angel's name was, no, not Gabriel. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Oh, boy. <laughs> Rough. Very yeah. difficult. Yeah. <clears throat> Cool. So, let's see. So, I'm on uh, page 56. Oh, we are zooming Oh, man. Cruising. I like it. I like it. I really love this thought. Um, Again, it's something that I kind of knew, but I just haven't heard laid out like this before. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, in this book, Pope Benedict, he he often does this. Uh, So, here at the end of this chapter, he says, Is what we profess in the creed true then? I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. And then he says the answer is an unequivocal yes. Karl Barth pointed out that there are two moments in the story of Jesus when God intervenes directly in the material world, the virgin birth and the resurrection from the tomb, in which Jesus did not remain nor see corruption. These two moments are a scandal to the modern spirit. God is allowed, in quotes, to act in ideas and thoughts in the spiritual domain, but not in the material. That is shocking. He does not belong there. But that is precisely the point. God is God, and he does not operate merely on the level of ideas. In that sense, what is at stake in both of these moments is God's very Godhead. The question that they raise is, does matter also belong to him? So I love yeah. it. I mean, that, that that's so true. So, um, and, and I really like what he talks about modernism right there, too. Um, <laughs> Pope Benedict was always talking about um, relativism and modernism uh-huh. and uh, as things to be. Uh, shunned <laughs> or you know but but here what he's saying is you know here in our modern sensibility um, our modern sensibility uh, when they're interpreting the scriptures is like well maybe uh, the loaves and the fishes wasn't really a miracle maybe everybody actually brought them and and how amazing yeah. is it that they shared <laughs> you know or something like that when it's like no 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 you know, it's, it's because because it's like uh, it, I, I like how he put it. It's a scandal. It's uh, it's shocking. God does not belong there. God belongs elsewhere. He's in our thoughts, and it's this nebulous thing where you know I can be spiritual and just think well, how may you know something's going on there. But but the moment that that intrudes into the into reality, and something happens that we can't explain, that's that's just a, an anathema to the modern mind. I know. Everybody yeah. likes to explain it away as something that is very human mm-hmm. somehow. Like, right. you know, like you said, the sharing of the loaves and fishes, which I always thought, oh, you, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> later on in that section, which I also marked because it's it was, I loved it. It just made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, if God does not also have power over matter, then he simply is not God. But he does have this power. And through the conception and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he ushered in a new creation. So, as the creator, he is also our redeemer. 
Hence, the conception and birth of Jesus from the Virgin Mary is a fundamental element of our faith and a sign of radiant hope. And it's, you're right, people, at least these days, are always trying to push Jesus or his miracles or the realities of him being here away from the material. Yeah. And it's like, but see, he entered into history to show us how important that is. He was a human being. Perfect human, perfect God. Yeah, exactly. Eight. He walked with people. He got sick, probably. He, you know, all the things. He was tired. They tell us in the Gospels, you know, he's asleep when their big tempest comes up and he's in the boat sleeping. (laughs) He's tired out. That's right. Yeah, that's one of the things I I saw Bishop Barron say in, um, I think it was the Catholicism series. One of the, in the very first little area, he says, you know, some people say, well, he was a, a wonderful prophet, very good man, <laughs> you know, and that. And he's saying, no, that doesn't make any sense to say that because he wasn't walking around um, saying things that make any sense whatsoever unless he is who, who we think he is. And if he isn't who we think he is, then he is a dangerous man and we should, we should not be listening to him, you know, because yeah. uh, he was revolutionary, and he was dangerous, right? You know, uh, we, we have that moment where he said, you know, the 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 bread of life in, in John, where everybody said, okay, that's, you know, that's crazy right there. And I'm leaving. Uh-huh. I'm leaving right now, you know. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? You know? Yeah. Um, so, it doesn't make any sense to say that. If you look at it and read what he said then, you know, it's basically you have a decision to make. Is he who he says he is, or is he not? And if he's not, we shouldn't be listening to him. But the fact, or the thought that he was just a a prophet that uh, is a good man doesn't make any sense. Well, that's the point that C.S. Lewis made, right? It's if (laughs) he's, Jesus is one of three things. He's he's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, because he's crazy and he thinks he's God, or he is who he says he is. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Yep, well put, right. Well, and it's a funny thing because you bring up the the idea that he was revolutionary, and he was revolutionary in how he was um, taking, fulfilling, I guess, Judaism, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the next step, essentially. But also, one of the things that I was looking at, and let's, okay, I don't want to shock anyone, but page 120. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, which is starting to lay out the groundwork for looking at 12-year-old Jesus in the temple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, it says, in some portrayals of the figure of Jesus, the emphasis is placed almost exclusively on the radical aspects, on Jesus' challenge to false piety. Thus, Jesus is presented as a liberal or revolutionary. It is true that in his mission as son, Jesus did introduce a new phase in man's relationship to God, opening up a new dimension of human intimacy with God. But this was not an attack on Israel's piety. Jesus' freedom is not the freedom of the liberal. It is the freedom of the son and thus the freedom of the truly devout person. As son, Jesus brings a new freedom. 
not the freedom of someone with no obligations, but the freedom of someone totally united with the Father's will, someone who helps mankind to attain the freedom of inner oneness with God. And so what he's actually saying is what the book of Hebrews points out, which is the thing that glorifies Jesus is his complete obedience to God's will. Hmm. And so that famous passage of, you know, at the name of Jesus, every, na- every knee shall bow, every, or every head shall bow, every knee shall bend, that's in praise of his complete obedience. Mm-hmm. Because he went through with the crucifixion. He did everything the way God wanted it. He didn't stop and say, are you kidding me? Hmm. Well, that's the thing of he's revolutionary in some ways, but the point of his amazingness is not in him being a radical or being, you know, liberal. Mm-hmm. Because everybody likes to go, oh, yeah, see, he was changing things. He was recognizing women. He was doing, well, yeah. But he was doing that because he was completely representing God as a human being. He was taking what Joseph did that gets taught, we mentioned earlier, right, where he's the righteous man and here's what a righteous man lives like. Well, Jesus is, here's what God would be if he was human because he is. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do? You recognize everyone, you do these things, and it's his complete obedience that is the striking, unusual, different, radical, crazy thing. And everybody who talks about the other stuff wants to take it the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. 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 This link between radical newness and equally radical faithfulness, rooted in Jesus' sonship, emerges clearly in the short narrative about the 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, so he's saying he that's the theological content that that story of Jesus in the temple is intended to convey. And I was mm-hmm. like, I know I read this before, but I just didn't remember it. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah, what I remember from that is how horrifying it would be to be parents looking for your kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, you know, they, uh, they they traveled far to try to find him. And then he's, he's like, oh, I was just over there. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, the thing Why that I worried? also took away from this is everybody talks about, can you imagine for three days looking for your child and... Mm. Again, Benedict kind of lays it out and says, well, here's why it was three days. One day was them uh-huh. traveling and not knowing he was missing. Yeah. The second day was them traveling back, worried <laughs> yeah. to death, but they couldn't mm. do any looking. And the third day, they found him in the temple. Yeah. yeah. And I went, oh, that's still horrifying, but it's not as bad as when I've heard these homilies about for three days they were searching Jerusalem. <laughs> and I went, that's oh, right. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Makes good so sense. how about you? What else? Well, let's see. Um, how about on page 97? <clears throat> I'd love to talk about the star for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah that's, yeah. that's one of those big questions. Right? Yeah, it is one of those big questions. Isn't it? I've never understood um, having a star in the sky leading people somewhere. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of, you know, he talks in here about, you know, conjunctions of planets and things that some mm-hmm. work that people have done. But that still doesn't make any sense to me. But something that, that did click in my understanding when reading about the star um, here is that, you know, you could have an astrological sign or something like that that they interpreted somehow as I need to go east or, or whatever. I need to go mm-hmm. this direction, whatever direction it might be. I could see that, but but to have like a conjunction of the planets leading people to where the manger was, 
makes no sense or the cave right <laughs> it mm-hmm, makes it right. makes no sense to me how that could even be because um so to me the star has always been something that's star like that would be above it something that's kind of supernatural um you know what i mean it, to me it wouldn't be part of the firmament <laughs> it would be right. something in the sky but is always directly above them so that people would be led there um so it was just uh, interesting to read um what he uh pope benedict had to say here and he, and really what he's doing is he he's talking about a few astronomers and things and and just talking about the star but there is also this other one where he talks about you know uh hey maybe the star wasn't a star maybe it was you know right. like like it like it is in my head mm-hmm. um but, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but, um, oh. yeah. So, well, go ahead. Yeah, I've read a lot of descriptions, and then, you know, in the, um, what is it, Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial? Oh, sure, yeah. There's a whole mm-hmm. chapter on it. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, the point that struck me firmly was, if there was a star up there that everyone could see, Herod would not need to send the Magi on and then go, and when they come back and tell me where it is, ah, I'm going right. to take care of things. Good point. Good he point. would have had his soldiers out there, or the, the shepherds wouldn't have needed, here are the angels singing. First of all, it didn't wake up the entire town, but they went into Bethlehem to see what they could find. Well, the whole town isn't standing there going, here's a star, what the heck? Hmm. You know, and so to me, these are speaking of taking God out of matter, (laughs) Uh but these are things that were revealed to these people. Right. Like when Gabriel was talking to Mary, could her mother have walked in and seen Gabriel? I don't know. I don't know how this happens. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it probably was just revealed to the Magi, whether it was through their charts, whether, because it does say, because they go in and say, so where's the king of the Jews? They're not seeing anything. And then they left. Oh, and there was the star again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 That's fascinating. I, I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it, even though I have read some stuff about it. I just don't remember thinking about it that way. But yeah, to have it revealed only to them, now that makes sense. Um, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. it, it's that thing of, um, well, because you can't explain everything in human terms either. Right, right. So, I don't know. And it's, that's why, you know, this is just another attempt to say, okay, well, this is some kind of a miraculous thing, some kind of supernatural thing, something outside of our normal experience. Well, there's got to be an explanation. Yeah. Let's find out if there's a supernova. <laughs> well, it's like you know. the loaves and fishes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it, How is that multiplied? Yeah. We don't know because mm-hmm. it wasn't like they suddenly had so much stuff in the basket that everybody couldn't even hold it up. It's that the basket was passed around with the, the two or three times it happened. And everybody just took out what they needed and there was always enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. Um and I have an ex- I've read about people who said we just kept feeding people out of the truck, and then we realized we'd fed like you know 700 people, and we'd had enough food for 100, and wow. uh-huh. there was still food. But I did one time have this odd experience of we were going to put on a Biancana retreat. It, we knew it was going to snow, and the weather was going to be bad. So two couples, me and my husband being one, went and stayed at the hotel the night before, so that if no one else could get there we too could put on the entire retreat 
in some truncated form if we had to. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, everybody's surprisingly, everybody made it. The whole team, all the 12 couples who were coming. And I mean, it was terrible weather, but they all did it. But for a long time, nobody was making it. So we four said, okay, well, we better start getting set up ready because we're going to have to really rush later if people are showing up. And I still remember this one point when everything was ready. And I looked at the other woman who'd been doing all this stuff with me. And I said, wow, I I can't believe we did it. I said, what time is it? And she looked at her watch and she said, I I don't, maybe my watch isn't right. It's been 20 minutes. Holy smokes. And this was Mm -hmm. something that would normally take, you know, six couples an hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that has to be wrong. And as somebody comes in from one of the other couples and we went, what time is it? And she said, it's this time. And we went, we just looked at each other and went, wow. <laughs> wow. And I can't yeah. explain it. It was, we didn't know anything about it. We were just doing what we were supposed to do, but everything was ready when it needed to be ready. And it was like time was expanded for us or something. I don't know. It, Cause hmm. we weren't doing anything like super fast speed. Yeah. But it's just, can you explain it? No. Did it happen? Yes. And you just go, wow, <laughs> thank you for that. That's an affirmation of we're going to do our best. Wow. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's like the star. I think that's the thing where they're suddenly like, I don't know where it went, but mm-hmm. here we are in Jerusalem headquarters. Let's find out what they know. Right, right. Yeah, and I think I think that's a, a excellent way to think about it too. It's like you know, trying to take it literal, uh, meaning by literal I mean needing to come up with the explanation of exactly how it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is fruitless. I, I don't know that uh, that's gonna gonna help you know what i mean right it's like you know right. what, what makes sense to you but uh but yeah but I, I guess my point is i just never understood trying to find a supernova or what planets were where and all this stuff you know because the conjunction of jupiter and saturn is not going to be like some single bright star it's not you know oh yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a good point too right so um yeah it just doesn't make any sense those those attempts mm-hmm. to explain so those are the things I always kind of look at and I start to read a little and I see that nobody really understands. They're all putting these explanations for it. And I start going, oh, what's in the next page? <laughs> Still more. Oh, here yeah, we go. Yeah. Something else that where they're not just batting back and forth theories and having no answer. To me, that's mm-hmm. fruitless. I know, some people might like it. Yeah. I don't care. Right. So I, I do like this sentence, you know, which kind of uh, agrees with what I thought coming into the book. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Uh, Pope Benedict says a similar position was put forward in the early church by St. John Chrysostom. Oh, yeah. That this star was not of the common sort, or rather not a star at all, as it seems at least to me, but some invisible power transformed into this appearance is in the first place evident from its very course, for there is not any star that moves by this way. And that, that fits what I think anyway. Yeah. So put me on team Chris Hostel. <laughs> well, that's pretty good because he was the golden tongue. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, I have one more. Great. Thing, if that's. Yeah, please. Okay. So this kind of keys from the fact that I have been very slowly working my way through this great book called A Catholic Introduction to the Bible. And then colon, 
the Old Testament. Ah, yes. You told me to get my hands on one of those. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes, because it really does a lot of what this book does in terms of there's the simple stuff on the top where you go, holy moly, I never thought of it. And then if you want to, it definitely goes deeper. Wow. Cool. And they go deeper into and they go book by book through the Old Testament and they'll look at things like the historicity. Here's what people used to think traditionally. Here's what the new scholars and the reductionist theologians think. Here's some problems with what they think. Or, you know, here are some discussions of what they think. And so they're giving you all the overviews of this stuff. They also will give you an overview of the story. They look at the theological content. They look at how it's used in the living church, so in the liturgy, and what what it's used to emphasize. And it's just so insightful. And they start at Genesis and just start working their way through. Nice. And I'm up to about the book of Esther. So by this time, I have been steeped in this idea of how the Jewish people saw God, thought about the temple, which was all important, thought about, um, you know, the prophets and their works. And so this idea that, you know, the prophet fashions this keyhole that Jesus is the only key that he can unlock. Mm. Um, this is becoming more and more apparent to me as I go through. Because it's even in the history, and I just hadn't realized it, where they're like, well, this guy was a prophet. And you're like, oh, oh, I get it. You know, he was talking about his own time, but look here. It's just they're not called out as prophets in the books of the prophets. So one of the things that really struck me that Ratzinger emphasizes so much is how many echoes of the Old Testament with the tent, the temple, all these things are saturated in the Gospels and in actually the whole New Testament because the Scripture is the most quoted thing of anything in there, and they're always calling back to the Old Testament Mm -hmm. to make their point, to emphasize their point, to say, hey, you didn't think of it this way. And so he says, he's talking about the book of John, who is always asking about who Jesus was, and he doesn't do a genealogy, and I'm on page 11 at this point. We went backwards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And he says, he sheds light on the identity of his followers. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt, and he puts brackets, pitched his tent among us. And I saw that and went, (gasps) Hmm. in the Old Testament, that's where the tabernacle was carried around until the temple was built, in the tent. Hmm. And it says, the man Jesus is the dwelling place of the Word, the eternal divine Word in this world. Jesus' flesh, his human existence, is the dwelling or tent of the Word. The reference to the sacred tent of Israel in the wilderness is unmistakable. Jesus is, so to speak, the tent of meeting. He is the reality for which the tent and the later temple could only serve as signs. And so he hmm. talks, he goes on and talks about that some more. And um, then he, hold on, page 21, he is talking about the Annunciation of John the Baptist's birth to Zechariah. Mm-hmm. And he says, it is not only the location, because it's announced to Zechariah in the temple as he's doing his priestly work. It is not only the location that gives the promise an old covenant flavor. Everything said here, everything that happens here is saturated in the words of sacred scripture in the manner described above. 
It is only through these new events that the words acquire their full meaning and vice versa. The events are of enduring significance because they proceed from the word. They are fulfilled word. The two groups of Old Testament texts come together here to form a new unity. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so then he goes on and he's talking about, well, you know, so you have the stories, which are typical, the infertile people who are now going to have babies. And then you have all the prophetic texts, which get linked to and brought in in ways that the Jewish people would know, especially. And so he's kind of spelling some of those out for us. And I'd read that before and gone, oh, that's really cool. Mm. But having gone through this other book and reading what they're saying, it just, I realize I'm more infused in that understanding. And so I was reading what he was quoting and going, oh my gosh, yes. Mm. And I can't understand it ever the way the Jewish people would or would have at that time. But I can really see why everything was resonating with them like hearing a bell ring suddenly. I get it. I get it. Oh, my gosh. Here we are. Wow. So, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, that was a really rich new realization. Mm. Yeah. For me, too. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Saturated in the words of sacred scripture. Yep, and then the fulfilled word. And that was the thing where I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. We've gone from, you know, the God in the burning bush on the mountain to the tent, to the temple, to the temple destroyed, but the promises that, you know, you won't be, you're not alone, and you, we will be here again together. Mm. And then here's Jesus. Yeah. Wonderful. Love it. Mm-hmm. And then Mary, as the he mm-hmm. he also talks about this with Mary, with the shadow. Or, you know, it says the spirit. Um, what is it? That overshadowed Mary. Mm-hmm. And it says so she became the living tent of God, because Jesus was within her, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, the sacred cloud that that led the Israelites through huh. the desert. You wow. know, the Hebrew yeah. children through the desert and everything. I'm like, right, God already would manifest as cloud. This is something everybody would recognize in the language because there'd be the clouds on the mountain, you know, the thunder coming from it. There'd be the, the cloud that leads them by day, the fire that leads them by night. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. I'm yeah. struck as we're talking about this about how endless it is. It's just, I know. It's just deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like yeah. it, it just never you never tire of it. You never uh you never get to the bottom. Yeah. It's incredible. It's so cool, right? Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. And thanks Pope Benedict for the book. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> So yes, did he yeah. did he write this when he was cardinal or was he a pope when he wrote it? No, no, he was pope when he wrote okay. all of them, but he didn't mm. want his <coughs> excuse me. He didn't want the fact that he was Pope to imbue it with an unnecessary authority for people. Gotcha. So, all the books Mm -hmm. came out under his own name, Joseph Ratzinger, because he's like, they, of course, are promoting Pope Benedict the 16th. Mm -hmm. But it always has Joseph Ratzinger on it because he's like, but these are my thoughts. Right. Just as a person and a theologian and a, you know. Yeah. So, there. Which is also nicely humble. That is nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for reading it. Thanks oh for gosh. the discussion too, man. <laughs> yeah. Just well, love thank it. you for picking it because it's been a long time. Well, good. 
I wish I could be in your book group to for this discussion. <laughs> I know. I can't wait to see You're what good. everybody says. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. What's next? What's next? Oh, yeah. We have one more thing for the That's year. That's right. right. One more thing for the year, and then we're off for the rest of the year. Uh, we're going to do the Shop Around the Corner. Yay. Uh, yeah, movie. Yeah. I hope folks enjoy it. Yeah. Yes, it's from one of the best directors ever, Ernst mm. Lubitsch. Yes, and we've we've talked about him in the past and Yeah. Love it. Well good. To be or not to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I know. Yeah. Okay, well uh have a blessed advent, everyone. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Get this book and read it or reread it. Yes. And that's going to make your advent much richer. For sure. Love yes. it. Yeah. And then watch the shop around the corner and that's going to make your Christmas better. <laughs> you bet. But we'll talk Double about win. later. Double win. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks everybody. See you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>